We turn in God's word this evening to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. As we deal with a man by the name of Obadiah, and you might say, didn't we have this fellow before? And the answer is no. We had a man by the name of Obadiah before, but not this man by the name of Obadiah. The Obadiah we dealt with uh, previously is the one who was the human author uh, of the book of Obadiah, a prophet uh, at a much later time than what we're dealing with here in 1 Kings chapter 18. There's actually 12 different men in the Bible with the name Obadiah. Uh, it's one of those names that is, we find frequently in God's word. Uh, most are given but a mere mention, uh, a mere line, sometimes just their name appears. Uh, there might be one or two of them, uh, as you examine the reference, who could possibly be the same person, but uh, most commentators uh, believe that's doubtful and would come to the conclusion there are 12. And why is the name so popular? Well, part of it is the meaning of the name. Obadiah, as we learned last time, means servant of Jehovah, or servant of the Lord, servant of Yahweh. Uh, what a beautiful name to give one of your children, right? Obadiah, name suggestion list, just write that one down. Servant of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. And when you think about it in the context of, of which these men served and lived, uh, particularly the prophet Obadiah, what a beautiful message that God raises up a man who is the servant of Yahweh. Here, particularly in the time period we're dealing with in 1 Kings chapter 18, to, to have someone by the name of Obadiah in the midst of Ahab's household is indeed a, quite a testimony of the Lord. So let's read. 1 Kings chapter 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. 
And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in caves and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Let's fire the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, your word is sweeter than the honeycomb, and it is a light to our path. Father, we pray that as we hear the word proclaimed tonight, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. Father, that we would live and trust to you. Father, no matter what the circumstances we face, that, Father, your sovereignty and your grace would be enough to sustain us. Father, we pray for the messenger tonight, for Pastor Bob as he brings your word, giving clearness of thought. And, Father, that the words that we hear would be your very own words to your people this evening. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Three things to look at in regards to this man and the day and age in which he lived. First of all, that he is a godly man. In spite of the day and age and the problems and the difficulties of the circumstances of that time, he is a godly man. Secondly, he was a responsible man. And thirdly, he was a courageous man. Let's just reiterate very quickly where we are. The passage begins, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. What are we referencing in verse one? We're referencing a three-year famine. There has been no rain upon the earth for a three-year period of time. And this is because the word of the Lord declared it. This isn't because of ecosystems. This isn't because of other circumstances or this was just a natural event. No, like all events, this is by the word of the Lord. This is what God brought upon Israel. But as a particular reason in this situation, it is because God's people have abandoned him. Ahab and Jezebel are upon the throne. They are a very abusive government. There is the squelching of God, of the worship of God. Jezebel, particularly, is about the, the, the bringing down all those who might be associated with the Lord. Hundred prophets she is seeking to end their lives. There is a wanted poster out for Elijah. Obadiah references that. Ahab's been looking for you. You're a wanted man. This is not a good time. The famine has become quite severe. Very severe. People are affected 
by the famine. Not only unbelievers, but believers are affected by that which is going on. The situation has become so desperate that even emotionally, Elijah has got the woe-be-me's to somewhat, to some extent, thinking he is the only one. The Lord has to remind him, no, Elijah, there are 7,000. That is what's going to follow up upon from this passage. One could say that there are problems wherever one could look as we open up verse 1 of chapter 18. And there, as we open it up, we meet in the midst of that circumstance a godly man. What do we read about this man? It says, verse 3, And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Let's just think about that a minute. He's a godly man, this Obadiah. What does he do? He fears the Lord greatly. And first of all, we have to note the object of this fear that he has great fear of. And the object is the Lord. And you say, well, why is that significant? Because the nation has gone down the tubes. Baal worship is the official religion of the land. There are bales all over the place. There are Asherah poles all over the place. If you want to be in favor, if you want to stand in good stead, you better be a Baal worshiper. You better be a follower of Baal. You better be following that which Ahab and Jezebel desire. In marked contrast stands Obadiah. He fears not the Baal. He fears not the Asherah. He fears not Ahab. He fears not Jezebel. He fears the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel. But there is something else here. We're not in the southern kingdom of Judah in this passage. We're in the northern kingdom of Israel. For years and years and years, Israel has already had the establishment of calf worship, a halfway measure invented by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. And if there are some sort of religious folks in Israel who are thinking, we don't know about this Baal worship, They're at the calves. They're worshiping there. Obadiah, in marked contrast to either the outright paganism or the syncretism of that day, the synergism of that day, is worshiping the Lord. He is not mixed. He is not divided. He fears the Lord. That's the second thing to note about the fact that he is godly. That it's not only the Lord, but that he fears the Lord. 
Actually, the, the verb in Hebrew is one of those verbs that's kind of an ongoing. It's, it's that present ongoing. He was fearing, even as he mentions in the text that, that he has been doing so from his youth. This has been his practice. He is a God-fearer, one who continually places his hope and trust in the Lord in spite of the problems, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the circumstances of life. Here is Obadiah fearing God. Perhaps it's important that we stop here and understand uh, that there are different kinds of fear, right? There is a servile type of fear, what Luther spoke of, that one cowers, one is afraid. One is afraid of the master. One is afraid of being beaten. One is afraid of being whipped. That's not the word that is used here. That's not the kind of fear. The fear here is the fear of respect. It's, it's the idea, well, let's put it this way. If, if we used all the different ways that, that commentators speak about this Hebrew word, this would be our list. To fear the Lord means to adore the being of God. It means to be in awe of the majesty of God. It means to be one who respects the law of God. To fear the Lord as it's used here means to have a a reverence for the holiness of God. Let me give you two other passages. Keep your finger here. Turn with me, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to go to verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. That's that same kind of fear we have here. This reverence, this adoration, this awe, this respect. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. The contrast, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the the scripture is highlighting for us in 1 Kings 18, here's a man by the name of Obadiah. He is not the one who falls into calamity. He is not the one hardening his heart. That's Ahab and Jezebel and most of Israel. Obadiah, although he's feeling all the effects of this famine, is not falling into the calamity. He indeed is blessed. Why? Because he fears the Lord. Go with me to one more passage. Isaiah chapter 66. Verse 2. All these things my hand has made. 
And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Just think about the look of God. This is, this is the look of blessing. This is the look of mercy. This is the look of grace. This is the look of peace. The one upon whom God looks. Right? He, do you hear that in the blessing that we sometimes use from the book of Numbers? Right? The Lord bless you, the keep you. The Lord make his face to smile upon you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you. The one upon whom the Lord looks. Who is the one upon the whom the Lord looks? What does verse 2 tell us? The one who is humble, the one who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one who fears. Not in the sense of, oh my, I'm going to get it. But in the one in the sense who have is in awe, in reverence, the being of the person of God. This is Obadiah. This is Obadiah of 1 Kings chapter 18. So the object, the Lord, what is he doing? He is fearing the Lord, but then we are given a descriptor, aren't we? In that verse. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Greatly. Now, I know some of you get a little kick out of Pastor Bob's uh, words that sometimes you think I make up, okay? That, that are, well, sometimes they are made up. This one isn't. To fear the Lord greatly means muchness, right? Now, if I just use the word muchness, you'd go, Pastor Bob, there's no such word as muchness. But that's actually what the commentaries use to describe the word, the Hebrew word that's used here. Muchness. What was his fear like? Muchness. Not just much, <laughs> but muchness. We might say exceedingly. And just think of the time and age in which this man is living. And yet, he fears the Lord greatly. And he is responsible. And, and here comes the interesting part of all of this. Under whose administration is he serving? Ahab and Jezebel's. Under Ahab and Jezebel's reign, he is serving responsibly. I wonder how many of us, when we read this text, would say, well, what Obadiah should have done is he should have left his job. He should have said, I want no part of this. I am leaving. I will not be a part of this administration. We might think that. It would seem, however, that as we read the passage, that his staying in this administration was exactly the plan and purpose of God. God didn't want him to leave. 
God want him to be used in the midst of the culture, in the midst of the society, even in, midst, in the midst of the organization, the administration that is considered to be the worst of all the kings of Israel up to that point in time. But in that administration, here he serves. What is he? Well, we are told, verse 3, he, Ahab calls Obadiah, who was over the household. Sometimes, uh, perhaps, uh, the English might refer to this as he was the governor of the household. He was in charge of the household. Now, what does that mean? What that means is this. He is in charge of the day-to-day operations that take place within the palace. Whether it's the winter or the summer palace, he's the man in charge. In charge of what? He would be in charge of all the food. He would be in charge of all of the clothing. He would be in charge of the king's schedule. He's going to be in charge of who can come and see King Ahab, who can't. And if things go badly in any one of those, he's a dead man. The food isn't up to par, he's dead. If the clothing isn't up to what should be there, he's dead. If the schedule doesn't go as Ahab wants it, he's dead. He's in charge of protection. He's in charge of the secret service of the day. He is in charge of the finances. All of this falls upon Obadiah. And he is serving responsibly. How do we know that? How do we know? You say, "Uh, I don't see that there, Pastor Bob. Sure you do. He's alive, isn't he? If he's still living and breathing, he must be doing his job and he must be doing it well, else he's dead. These people don't, you know, they don't value life. If you don't do the job, they just get rid of you. Not fire you and move you on. They just annihilate you. They just get rid of you. So he must be doing a responsible job. But we see that as well, don't we, in this duty that actually brings, ultimately, Obadiah and Elijah together. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Ahab says to Obadiah, let's go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. What's the problem? We're at the end of a three-year famine. They have run out of a food supply. The sources are running low. You go one direction in Israel, I'll go the other direction. And let's see if we can find some grazing land. Some grazing land for the horses and grazing land for the mules. Let's find food. You know what I find interesting about this? Is that Obadiah is so trusted 
by Ahab. That he is actually on the same par as Ahab here. I'll go one way, you go the other way. I trust you as much as I trust myself. I put all my trust, all my confidence in you, Obadiah, that if you find some good pasture land, if you find some green grass where we can uh, pasture the horses and the mules for a period of time, you're going to come and you're going to tell me, I trust you with that. You will not hide it from me. You will not keep it from me. He's responsible. In the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of the man who is king, he is a trusted, responsible individual. Thirdly, he's also a courageous man. We see that courage come out in numerous ways as you're looking at the outline. First of all, in the meeting itself with Elijah. Verse 7. As Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. Now I just ask you, just stop and think. What does Obadiah do? At that point, he meets Elijah. Elijah is a wanted man. Elijah is somebody that Ahab does not like and Jezebel hates. What does Obadiah do? Does he run away? I think that's Elijah. Let me get out of here real quick. Let me get move this horse as fast as I can and get out of here. I don't want this encounter. I don't want to be in this circumstance. I don't want to be in this situation. No, Obadiah is a courageous man. What does he do? He recognizes him. He knows the one who is the Lord's prophet and fell on his face and said, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? Now, the Lord here does not, is not the same as Lord as we had. He feared the Lord. He's not thinking of Elijah as God, but he is thinking of Elijah as his master in the sense of the one who is the prophet of Israel at the time. And when we read back, we read that Ahab went in one direction by himself, Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Do you think that means Ahab's riding around on a horse by himself? I, I, I would imagine in his administration with the famine this far along, there's some people who are really, really ticked at Ahab. I don't think he's going unprotected. By himself does not mean that there are not accompanying servants. By himself means... I am responsible for my area. You are responsible for your area. Think of this. Here is Elijah. Obadiah's response is not to run to Ahab. Hey, I found him, I found him, and turn him in. He gets down. He bows before him. He acknowledges that he is the prophet of God. 
even though there are witnesses, even though there are others who might take this occasion to report back. It's a man of courageous faith just in this part of the meeting. Secondly, we see his courage in in the understanding of his task. The task is simply this. Elijah says to him, you go tell tell Ahab, I want to meet him. And I want to meet him here. And I want to meet him today. Obadiah understands this. So you want me to go find Ahab and tell him your location. Yeah, that's what I, I need you to do. He understands what he has to do, but he understands what that means. He understands that he's placing by doing so his life in jeopardy. He understands that, that this responsibility, this duty, this going to Ahab and telling him Elijah is in this location may very well result in his death. Why? Because he knows how the Lord has worked. He knows how the Lord has guarded and protected Elijah. He knows that wherever Elijah has been spotted, Ahab sends men and they go there and Elijah is gone. And Obadiah understands this is by the hand of the Lord. The Lord's just picking this guy up and dropping him down. At one time he's here, and another time he's here. Then he's in Zarephath. Then he's at the Brook Kidron. Then he's here. Then he's there. And Ahab can't find him with all of his army. Jezebel can't find this guy. And you want me to go tell Ahab where you are. Oh, he understands what that not only requires, he understands what it means. And what is going to happen? He is going to, at the end, so Obadiah went to Ahab. This is not, he doesn't have a clue what's happening. He doesn't have a clue or understand what's taking place. He fully gets it. He knows what is happening. The other thing that stands out here is his willingness to serve in the midst of this godless administration. Now, we heard about it first back in verses 3 and 4, didn't we? This man, under the nose of Ahab and Jezebel, particularly Jezebel, has taken a hundred prophets, has found a location, two separate locations. He's put 50 prophets in one location. He's put 50 prophets in another location, a cave, and has been supplying them with food. And if we put the numbers together, it appears he's been doing this for the three-year period of time, or the majority of it. What a courageous man, right? I mean, it's not like the evil guy is hundreds of miles away. He lives every day under the watchful eye of Ahab and Jezebel. 
And he willingly has been feeding these people. How did he do it? The word of the Lord doesn't tell us. It doesn't go into detail. It doesn't explain exactly how did he get away with this for such a long period of time. How was this not uncovered? How did they not figure this out? Who else is keeping their mouth closed? The plan, the purposes of God, right? In the midst of this foul, disdainful administration, here is a man of great courage, a godly man, a responsible man. He's not derelict in his duties. He goes about his work faithfully. But at the same time, he is providing for all of these servants. When I was scheduling out sermons, I didn't know at the time that this sermon was planned that there was the special offering we took tonight. But what, what the amazing providences of God in that, right? right? Under, the guy, under the midst of an evil regime, there are those by our gift, one for sure already, serving faithfully. Amazing. Obadiahs, Obadiahs. See, that's what, that's what today calls for. That, that's what the environment in which you and I live in today calls for. It calls for Obadiahs. Regardless of where it is, regardless of the circumstances, you know, we, we, we can change the circumstances, but we, we all know that, that in our lives there are difficult times, there are difficult situations. Whether it's our nation, whether it's our state, whether it's our family, whether it's our business, there are difficult circumstances. And what does Obadiah teach us? But that we live faithfully. How? By trusting and obeying the Lord. See, hope and assurance doesn't come from some magical chant, some magical words that we say. It comes the way it comes to Obadiah here through the daily trusting the Lord. And by obeying the Lord. That we do that which Psalm 47 called us to do in the midst. That we clap our hands with a shout of praise. God is the great king who reigns over all. He is to be greatly feared. He was a man who was willing to serve. How? He trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. He says, okay, 
Elijah said, verse 15, the Lord of hosts lives whom I stand. I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet him and told him. He trusted the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord said, I will show myself. Elijah will be here. He's not going to do the disappearing thing. He will be here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. He trusted the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He did that which was commanded him. That, my friends, is the definition of courage. Christian courage, biblical courage, trusting the Lord in spite of the difficult, hard circumstances of life and obeying the Lord. Trusting the Lord's plan, trusting the Lord's purposes, trusting that the Lord is at work. Obadiah doesn't even have Romans 8, right? Obadiah doesn't even have that. What Obadiah is clinging to is the covenant promises of God. I will be your God if you will be my people. I will bless those who tremble at my word. We have, we have in addition to that. And God works for the good. For the good. For all those who put their trust in him. Is going to be with my Lord a good thing? <laughs> that is the best thing. That's not just a good thing. That is the best thing there is. All these circumstances that surround us. These are not haphazard events. This is not chaos. There is a God who rules and he rules supremely. For what purpose? So that you and I might grow in Christ. That we might learn to trust him more and obey his word. You know what? What word perhaps of the Lord we need to, to be practicing more today? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not rejoice in the Lord when things are good. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because we know he's at work. And he is in control. He was courageous. His role is pivotal, right? Why do you suppose Ahab responds the way Ahab does? See verse 16? So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Why do you suppose Ahab went? Because Obadiah told him. His trusted overseer, his responsible overseer, who he knows is a godly man, who greatly fears the Lord. Because Obadiah 
was that responsible, godly man, obedient, trusting the Lord, obeying the Lord. Ahab says, okay, I'll go see Elijah. This is not a trick. This is not, he's not going to do a disappearing act. How do I know? Because Obadiah told me it. And Elijah goes and, or Ahab goes and meets Elijah. Do you know what the outcome of that is? Do you know the rest of chapter 18? This is Mount Carmel. This is Mount Carmel. This is the contest. This is where Elijah comes and meets Ahab and says, okay, we're going to have a contest. The Lord is going to prove himself against your worthless Baal. Let's go to Mount Carmel. Let's have the contest. They have the contest, right? The fire comes down from heaven. God shows himself and declares himself. What happens? Elijah slays the 400 prophets of Baal. But you know what ultimately happened that day? It rained. It rained. The visible manifestation of the blessing of God upon his people. It rained. And Obadiah did his part. Oh, he wasn't on Mount Carmel offering the sacrifice. He wasn't on the, uh, Mount Carmel on his knees. He wasn't on Mount Carmel with the sword. He wasn't out at Mount Carmel on the, the place facing and seeing the, the rain coming and the praying as the faithful man. He wasn't there. You know what Obadiah did? Obadiah trusted the Lord and obeyed the Lord and said, Ahab, Elijah wants to see you. And God used, God used his faithfulness to bring rain upon his people. People of God, may we, may we be faithful. You know, God's people at one time faced a very difficult circumstance. They're in, they're in captivity in Babylon. They had the woe be me's too. Oh, here we are. The word of the Lord comes to them. And he says to them, Jeremiah 29. Sandy reminded me of this passage. The word of the Lord came to them and says, build your houses. Conduct your business. Seek the good of the nation where you are. Have children. Have children. Live life. Live life as my people. Go forward and live. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you. Live life trusting and obeying the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, again, We've been reminded from your word of the glorious hope that is ours. A hope, Father, that you rule, that you reign, that you are in charge. And you call us to fulfill our role, to fulfill our place, to fulfill our responsibility in the world, in our place, in our situation in which you have called us to serve. And your calling to us is to trust 
and obey. Father, may we, may we, as Obadiah of old, be those godly, responsible, courageous people of our day, of our age, in Christ's name, and for his glory, God's people say, amen.